0: greetings and welcome to Etzheim's weekly podcast recorded live in Richardson Texas we invite you now to join us for one of our synagogues Shabbat messages all right well Shabbat Shalom Are we ready in the back all right we have a lot of people out today it's a holiday weekend a lot of people traveling and sadly a lot of people sick today so please keep them in your prayers Uh if you're on our email list, uh, you, you had a prayer request sent around uh, yesterday, I believe, about the people out sick. If you're not getting our emails, I ask and encourage you to sign up on our website to get our emails or to see myself or Dan Boren afterwards and we can get you signed up. And so hopefully we've a lot of people watching from home today. And for those watching on our live stream, on our YouTube channel, I want to apologize. We had technical difficulties this morning getting started and we probably have the wrong title up there. i to ignore the title. This is the correct live stream. Uh, if you're hearing me, it's September 4th, and you should be on the right live stream. So Shabbat Shalom. And we're continuing our series today uh, on the book of Mark. Today's part 23. And we're going to look today at the famous account of Yeshua confronting the rich young ruler. So turn with me to Mark chapter 10, or all the way up to chapter 10, uh, beginning in verse 17. So Mark 10 at 17, and, and we'll have it on, on the overhead as well. As Yeshua started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Yeshua answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments from this vote. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I've kept from my youth. Yeshua looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go, sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And you have treasure in heaven. And then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Yeshua looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the Malchut Hashamayim, the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words. But Yeshua said again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for the rich to enter God's kingdom. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, Who then can be saved? Yeshua looked at them and said, With man... This this isn't possible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Amen. This is the, the famous story of the so called rich young ruler. And he was rich in two different ways. He had both great moral wealth and great financial wealth. First of all, he, he had great moral wealth. Uh, he's a very decent, righteous person, a man characterized by moral excellence. When Yeshua uh, enumerates many of the other Ten Commandments, uh, don't murder, don't don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't give false testimony, honor your father and your mother, the rich young ruler says this in Mark 10, verse 20. Teacher, all these I kept since I was a boy. Yeshua seems to take them in his word. So let's assume that here's a man characterized by moral excellence. Here's a man characterized by, by sexual purity. Uh, he's he's a loving son Uh, he's a great citizen Uh, he's a man of integrity and honesty let's assume all this is true not only that he also secondly has great financial wealth Uh, we're told he's wealthy he he has many possessions Uh, back then as well as today there's kind of an unconscious and sometimes even conscious feeling that these two things somehow go together Uh, that if you do good uh, then you'll do well Uh, And and that if you've done well, it's because you've been good. Uh, So remember, for example, when Maria, the the poor nun in Sound of Music, she's about to marry the wealthy Captain Von Trapp, uh, and she sings this song, Somewhere in my youth or childhood, I must have done something good. (laughs) I must be a pretty good person, or, or God wouldn't be rewarding me like this. And of course, uh, this is the flip side of what Job's friends said to him uh, when Job was stricken and with the death of his children, his own poverty and disease. Uh, they essentially said to Job, somewhere in your youth or childhood, you must have done something bad. <laughs> you must have done something wrong. And so many of Yeshua's followers, they believed that, that, that if you live a good life, uh, then that then God will bless you uh, with prosperity. Uh, and here we see that this rich young ruler... He's blessed with moral excellence and with a prosperous life. And so he approaches Yeshua. It appears that here's the ideal person, right? Uh, that any religious leader would want to say, here's the kind of guy I'm looking for for my ministry. <laughs> here's the kind of person I want in my congregation. That <laughs> only is this man's life characterized by moral excellence, but his life is all together uh, in all sorts of ways including being wealthy, yes, and in the parallel passage in Luke, we're told that he was also a synagogue ruler. He was one of the rulers of the local synagogue. And most of all, fourthly, uh, he's even willing to admit there's still something that I lack, he says. I mean, yeah, it's great to have a wealthy person who faithfully attends synagogue, uh, uh, and also now to be humble and to be open enough to say, you know... Despite everything I have, everything I've done, I'm still missing something. He's really pulled together in every way. Uh, And he's so together. He's even willing to admit, I don't have it all together. I still lack something. And so he runs up to Yeshua and he falls on his knees. And he says in Mark 10, verse 17, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And shockingly, Yeshua speaks harshly to him. And sends him away packing. Here's the kind of guy that that everyone would say, this is about as altogether of a person as anybody can be. And he's even willing to admit that he has a spiritual need. And he comes and he asks Yeshua a perfectly legitimate question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And in the parallel passage in Matthew, because this is in a lot of the Gospels, after saying that he's kept all the commandments... Still realizing, nonetheless, in his heart, he was still missing. He asked in Matthew 19, verse 20, what do I still lack? He knows there's something missing in his life, spiritually. So, so despite keeping all the commandments, uh, he asks, what do I still lack? And then Yeshua gives him this outrageous, strong answer and sends him away packing. And in his response, Yeshua shows this rich young ruler that he's totally outside the kingdom of God. And when the disciples see it, they're absolutely astonished. And they say, in essence, well, if he's out, who in the world is in? Look at Mark 10, verse 26. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? And this shows us that Yeshua faith is utterly different from anything that the human mind the natural mind can conceive of or think. And what's most alarming is that, is that many of us may be in the very same boat. Even those of us who can pull our lives together, like he did, uh, get our lives morally together, uh, uh, self discipline, self control, uh, economically together, career wise together. And, and even if we're, we're all together, together, like this rich young ruler, hopefully that we too will admit, like he did. That I still need something. I still lack something. But this story teaches us that it's possible to have all of this, even the humility to admit I lack, and still end up being sent packing by Yeshua. Why did this rich man go away sad? Actually, a better translation of the Greek here is grieved. He went away grieved. So let's ask ourselves today, how can we avoid going away grieved? This young man had set out a course on his life that looked like he's made every bit of it uh, successful and he was only lacking one thing. Uh, he wasn't quite sure what it was. Uh, he put his career together, religiously, he, he was the president of his synagogue, uh, he had climbed up the mountain, he was almost at the very top and he realizes, hey, hey, I've almost made it, I just need one more step. Uh, I can't quite reach the top. So he turns to Yeshua and he says, I just need that one more step. Uh, What must I do to inherit eternal life? But Yeshua says, you're on the completely wrong road. You're actually far from the kingdom. So how are we going to avoid being sent away by Yeshua grieving? In fact, there may, may be many of us, many of you, hearing the sound of my voice, either here or, or on the YouTube, uh, and you're in a similar situation. Maybe you're not rich. Maybe you're not as all together as this guy was. But, but maybe you're saying to yourself, what do I lack? And there's a danger that you could be sent away grieving. So why, why was he sent away grieving? I think there's four reasons from this passage Why? Uh, And unless we understand these reasons, we might be in danger also uh, of being sent away grieving as well. Uh, So there are four reasons why he was sent away grieving. And each one of these, by the way, is, is escalating. Each one is more serious than the next. Four reasons in this text why he was sent away grieving. So on the overhead, number one, he went away grieving because he talked to the real Yeshua. One of the reasons he was disturbed... Is because he was talking to the real Yeshua. And hearing the real message of Yeshua. Uh, Again on the overhead. When you talk to the real Yeshua. The real one. You're always shocked. When you encounter his real message. You're always disturbed. And in fact this is the way you also grow as a believer by the way. Again on the overhead. When you hear the real message of the gospel. You always find two things that are shocking. Number one. It demands far more than you ever thought and number two it offers far more than you ever thought so one more time on the overhead when you meet the real yeshua you discover that he wants far more from you than you ever thought he did but he offers far more to you than you ever dreamed and frankly that's also what it means to grow the way you grow as a believer The way you know that you've grown is you can look back maybe a year ago and realize you were much more ignorant about these two things. But today you see far more of what he's requiring of you. He requires a lot more than you ever thought, even more than you thought a year ago. But you also see he offers far more than you ever imagined. That's what it means to be dealing with the real Yeshua. And whenever you do come up against the real Yeshua uh, and you see these truths, and then, and only then, you can only have one of two responses: you can either bow down in wonder and awe and give yourself to Him, or you can go away offended. One or the other. Now, if you go away offended, there's there's still hope uh, because you've heard the truth, you know, and it can work on your heart, uh, and you may repent uh, and return. But one thing's impossible: uh, is to have met the real Yeshua. And to be indifferent. And if there's anyone hearing my voice. Who's just indifferent to Yeshua. Uh, for example you find Messianic faith laughable. Uh, or irrelevant. Uh, or boring. Uh, or another more subtle form of indifference. If you find Messianic faith just a nice comforting thing. It's nice on a cave to occasionally dip into. Or if you find Messianic faith vaguely guilt producing. And anxiety ridden. If any of these scenarios apply to you, you have not seen the real Yeshua. Because you're in the grip of indifference. And whenever you meet the real Yeshua, though, he disturbs you. Uh, and that's the first reason this rich young ruler was disturbed. He met the real Yeshua on the overhead. Second second reason he went away grieving was because Yeshua had just smashed two of his basic assumptions about how religion works she was smashed his religious views and the religious views that this rich young ruler had were not just common in, in his day they're also very common today you see he came knowing he, he was lacking something he knew he needed some kind of, of spiritual experience he wasn't sure about his relationship with god he says in mark 10 verse 17 what must i do to inherit eternal life He wasn't sure if he had eternal life or not. He wasn't sure about his relationship with God. Uh, He lacked inner peace, shalom. So he comes and he inquires uh, of Yeshua. Now, the way he approaches this issue is based on two assumptions. Uh, He seems very sincere. He's approaching God, though, on the the basis of two assumptions that Yeshua utterly smashes uh, on the overhead. And these two assumptions are this. Number one. That Messianic faith is something you can add to your life. And number two, the Messianic faith is something you can do. Being a Yeshua follower is something you can add and something you can do. First, you assume, assume being a believer or a Yeshua follower was something you could just add to your life. Sort of like furnishing your life out with a, with, with a missing piece of furniture. Filling your life, your life out with some kind of spiritual addition. It's like, for example, uh, you're a conductor, a music conductor, and you, li- you listen to the music and you say, mm, one of the notes is missing, or it's not coming out quite right, uh, and, and I need to change the way we play this particular measure. And lots of people say, that's what I need. I had a pretty good life, but I need, need now to kind of round myself out. I need to, to add something. So he says in the parallel account, Matthew nineteen twenty, what do I still lack? He goes to Yeshua, he says, what can I add? But Yeshua's response, as we'll see in a bit, is to make an outrageous request. And what Yeshua was saying is this on the overhead. Messianic faith isn't something you add. Messianic faith, becoming a Yeshua follower, is more like an explosion that destroys everything you have to make way for something very new. Being a Yeshua follower isn't is not something you add to your life. Being a Yeshua follower, it started completely afresh. Remember Nicodemus? Uh, he was the rich old ruler, not the rich young ruler. <laughs> uh, he comes to Yeshua by night, and he says to Yeshua in John 3, verse 2, Rabbi, uh, we know you John 3, verse 2. Rabbi, we know you're a teacher that's come from God. For no one can perform the signs you do if God wasn't with him. Nicodemus, in essence, he says. I'm a ruler of Israel. I'm a member of the Sanhedrin. But I just feel I lack something. Uh, What do I still lack? And Yeshua goes, boom. John 3, verse 2. Very truly, I tell you, no. No one can see the kingdom of God without being born again. Reborn. Yeshua says, Nicodemus, you must be born again. You must be completely redone everything has to be smashed which young ruler Yeshua says back in our passage in Mark chapter 10 you don't need just one more rung up the ladder to get to the top of the mountain but rather what I have revolutionizes everything what I have smashes through the mountain it's a whole new approach see Yeshua was saying becoming my follower isn't something you just add to your life but something that completely revolutionizes radically ch- changes it transforms your life so the first assumption of this rich young ruler, Yeshua smashes, is so that you can't just bring Yeshua into your life as an addition. He doesn't just furnish you out. He's not just another book on your shelf, or file on your hard drive, that somehow gives you more power. No. He's a whole new, uh, a whole new program, a whole new operating system. <laughs> and the overhead. But there's a second assumption this rich young ruler makes is that he thinks of faith is something you can do. He says in Mark 10, verse 17, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And the parallel passage, Mark 19, 16, he says, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? What good deed, what mitzvah do I need to perform? And Yeshua, again, now is absolutely blunt. He says in Mark 10, verse 18, Why do you call me good? No one's good. Except God alone. And in a minute. We'll see. He asked this man. To do something. Impossible. Yeshua says. Getting to God. Is not a matter of goodness. Because no one's good enough. No one. Is moral. Enough. Yeshua is telling him. That despite his self confidence. And thinking that he's kept. All the commandments. He's only kept. The outward external ones. At best. Not the weightier. Commandments. Of the heart. And as we'll see, especially not the first commandment of having no other gods before me. Yeshua says, there's no one good but God, meaning that this rich young ruler really is not good. Uh, He thinks he's good, but according to God's standards, he's not. Now, by the way, as a side note, when Yeshua says, why do you call me good? No one's good but God. uh, Yeshua's not saying that he's not God, uh, because that's not the issue or the topic at hand. As far as this rich young ruler knows, Yeshua is just some rabbi, just some teacher. So when Yeshua says, why do you call me good? No one's good but God. Uh, He's not speaking to this issue of, of who he himself is. Rather, he's trying to show this young man that no one, including this young man himself, is really good from God's standards, from God's perspective. The next Yeshua says in Mark 10, verse 21, One thing you lack, go... Sell everything you have and give it to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. And then come, follow me. Yeshua says, Sell everything you have and give it, to the, give it to the poor and follow me. What is Yeshua doing? He says, Oh, you obey all the Ten Commandments, do you? Well, let's just start with the first one. Let's just take number one. First one, in essence, what Yeshua calls the greatest commandment Matthew 22 37. Yeshua replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Exodus 20 verse 3. You shall have no other gods before me. So Yeshua says, Let's just try that one out, huh? I want you to sell and give away all your possessions just because I, the Lord, say so. How are you doing? Because you see... If God is really first in your life, anything and everything else is just trivial by comparison. Everything and anything else is just a bauble, a a trinket. Nothing compares to God's love and his value uh, and his worth. Nothing is compared to his heart, his love, his mercy, his grace, his forgiveness. Nothing. So do you have any other gods before him? How does your heart work? Now, what's Yeshua doing here? He's showing this rich young ruler that no one loves God with all their heart and mind and soul and strength. No one loves their neighbor as themselves. And therefore, you really don't keep the commandments. Don't you see? Your problem, oh rich young man, isn't that you need a little bit more goodness. Your problem is that you won't admit what you what you probably know deep down. That you're not good. And I can almost hear Yeshua saying uh, this reason you come to me is because you know at some level that you're not good. Here's an example. Take a look at a little sewing needle. A little sewing needle. Uh, look at it with a naked eye. Uh, it looks flawless, right? Uh, perfect. Pure spotless smooth uniform but then take that same needle and put it under a microscope and you'll see it's pocked and nicked and misshapen and flawed now anybody who gets close enough to a human heart will see the same thing we see a typical example of this at a lot of funerals the deceased is always described as the most exemplary man or woman on the face of the earth. Right? A righteous, faithful, person of integrity, loving, strong believer, and model citizen, Yeshua follower. And so the pastor or the minister or the priest or the rabbi will uh, have these glowing funeral sermons. And then look and watch some of the family members who know a bit better start squirming in their seats. <laughs> Why? Because if you look close enough, at any heart, any human heart, it's all misshapen. It's all pocked, it's spotted, and stained, and flawed, and darkened, and twisted, and bent. And deep down, the rich young man, he knows this. Uh, he won't admit it to himself... Uh, but Yeshua is trying hard here. He's trying to break through his defenses and his self-deception and his denial and his spiritual blindness. That's why Yeshua says to him in Mark 10, 18, no one is good except God alone. You think becoming a Yeshua follower, is just something you add to your life? No, it's a revolution. You think becoming a Yeshua follower is based on the good things you do? No. It's something you receive by repentance and faith. Now, in contrast, every other religion in the world, every other philosophy in the world, divides humanity like this. Uh, These over here are the good, and and these over there are the bad. Uh, These are the moral, uh, and these are the immoral. Uh, These are the nice, and these are the nasty. (laughs) Uh, These are the religious, and, and over here, these are the irreligious. And Yeshua comes through, with this world changing revolution and says no he says the real line is not a horizontal line between these different groups of how you categorize people the real line is the vertical line between all of us and God and there are really only two approaches to God both nasty and nice people can try to do it on their own efforts or both nasty and nice people no matter what you've done no matter who you are No matter how great or awful you've been, you can come on a totally different basis. You can come, Yeshua says, not on the basis of your efforts, but on the basis of my efforts. And until you see that real line going down the center of humanity and its attitude and its stance towards God, it's not the horizontal, but it's the vertical. Until you see that the vertical is the real line, it cuts across the horizontal. Uh, it obliterates the superficial differences on the horizontal level until you see that you won't understand that having a personal relationship with God isn't based on something you add or something you do but rather it's something you receive through repentance and trust and surrender to Yeshua the horizontal distinctions are obliterated why? Because we see that no one is really good. So your perceived goodness is only relative compared to somebody else. So for example, uh, you say, I'm a good person. I don't lie. I don't cheat. I don't steal. But if you probe further, we see sometimes you do lie. Sometimes, uh, especially to uh, to avoid getting in trouble. Sometimes you do steal. Maybe supplies from your employer. Sometimes you do cheat. Your income taxes. (laughs) Well, you say, well, okay, but I'm better than, than an armed robber. And then the armed robber says, well, I'm better than, than a murderer. And the murderer says, well, I'm better than this mass murderer in the cell next to me. <laughs> our goodness is our relative, and it's an illusion. If God were to show us all of our sins, if God were to show us our hearts, we would scream in horror horror. And shame. No matter how good you think you are. And we have to put our life under a microscope. You'd immediately see how pot and blemished and mistake and misshapen it is. But no matter how bad you are, Yeshua says, you can still come to me. And so so this rich young ruler, he's good relatively speaking, compared to some others, but his whole doctrine of goodness is wrong. Uh, He doesn't see from God's perspective. And as a result, he goes away grieving. Yeshua has smashed his assumptions. So, from the overhead. The reason he went away grieving is because, number one, he was talking to the real Yeshua. Number two, Yeshua smashed his religious assumptions. Now, number three, because Yeshua, thank you, Yeshua got personal with him. I just want to suggest to you that even though... Yeshua has contradicted his religious values and his religious assumptions that's not really the real reason he was grieved no the real reason is because Yeshua got personal with him Yeshua refused to stay just academic this rich young man like many of us believed that his problem is essentially uh, an academic one he says yeah I'm missing something I don't know what it is but but I feel like there's something wrong I'm lacking something in my relationship with God. Uh, Maybe it's a doctrine I've missed. Or some good deed, some mitzvah I I still need to do. Or maybe some rule I'm breaking without even realizing it. What is it? He's essentially saying, there's something I'm missing. Uh, Something I'm missing uh, in, in my thinking. So he approaches it academically. But Yeshua won't have it. Now, many people say, my, my, my real problem with Christianity, with Messianic Judaism, is I don't see how a God of love could punish people. Or my real problem with, with belief, with faith in Yeshua, is, is it's so exclusive. Uh, it leaves out those who follow other religions. Or, or my problem, it's miracles. Uh, a modern person like me, we, I can't believe in miracles, like the virgin birth, like the resurrection. Uh, or if we want to be uh, less academic... Uh, more personal more honest maybe you say I have a sin habit and I don't want to give it up I I like my sin and it's more important to me than God the rich young man the rich young ruler he, he comes to Yeshua and Yeshua has the eye that pierces through all the smoke screens and all the pretense and all the posturing and sees right into your heart Now, very importantly, we're told this in Mark 10, verse 21. Yeshua looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go sell everything you have and give it to the poor. You'll have treasure in heaven. And then come, follow me. Yeshua looked at him and loved him. Now, what does that mean? It means Yeshua wasn't just looking at his face. He was reading his soul like a book. It means Yeshua was saying, I know this is going to hurt you. But I see the real issue. I see the real cancer. I see the real thing that's killing you. You've got to get rid of all your money. Now, the only way to understand what Yeshua is doing here is to put this in context. There's no one else in the entire Bible who's asked to give up everything like that. Even Zacchaeus was only asked to give away half. In other words, there's no rule that says all believers in order to follow Yeshua must give up everything. There's no place in the Bible that says you must sell all your possessions and give it away and go into complete poverty. There's no place that says that. So this means the way he's dealing with this young man is he's doing a drastic measure the same way you would with an alcoholic or a gambler. What Yeshua is saying is that our difficulties... Our difficulty underneath all of our objections and underneath all of our complaints. The difficulty we really have is never the difficulty we think we have. Any mature believer who's walked with the Lord a long time will agree. What we thought was our problem in the beginning really wasn't my problem. Yeshua comes in and he says, underneath it all, there's a power struggle. There's this power struggle you have with God over your deepest dreams. Remember the old, maybe some of you are old enough, remember the old Broadway musical Carousel? There's a scene with this, one of the characters, uh, Carrie uh, Pippridge. She sings a song about, well, she can't wait to be married and have kids. Uh, that's her dream. And she sings this song, when the children are asleep, we'll sit and dream. But the night she sang that song, if Yeshua had come down into the middle of the carousel, he'd walk over to Carrie Pippridge and he'd say, there's one thing you lack. I want you to be willing to lead a single life, all your life for me. That's what he'd do. He comes to Abraham, Genesis 22, verse 2, and he says, I want you to take your son, your only son, the one you love, Yitzhak, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there uh, as a corbanola, as a burnt offering on one of the mountains. I'll show you. Yeshua comes to the rich young ruler and says, you've got to give away all your money. What's he doing? Yeshua is saying, I want your dreams. I want you to be willing to surrender all your dreams to me. Yeshua, he's saying to you today, I want the most important thing in your life. If you cling to it above all else, then that's the running sore, uh, the cancer. I want your dreams. I want that through which you dream of a life of power and joy without me, without God. I want the thing you think will will give your life power and joy without God. And until uh, you've given it over to me, not only are we not right, but you don't even realize it's killing you. The point is, anything you've decided will give you a life of joy and power without God... Whatever it is, sex, drugs, money, fame, beauty, politics, success, anything you pursue as your number one priority over the Lord becomes an idol and eventually becomes a monster that will take you over and destroy you from within. It will drive your life and become your obsession and eventually control, control all your thinking and all your decision-making It'll become your God. So Yeshua looks at the rich young man and he says, this is your monster. Money. Yeshua loved him, the text says. Yeshua therefore says, I have to tell you this and I know it's going to hurt you, but I love you. And the reason I'm telling you this is because is, is, this is how, is how you think you, you can have a life of power and joy without me, without God. And as a result, we've got to kill this thing before it kills you. The reason your life is out of control is because you're afraid of losing control to God. Yeshua says, give it to me. Let me decide how much money you're going to have. Put me first. Be willing to part with anything. Change your attitude towards your wealth and your possessions. Destroy the, the psychological umbilical cord That you have with your money. Be willing to part with anything. For the opportunity. To follow me. So Yeshua says to him. Be willing to walk away from it all. And let me decide how rich you're going to be. And he says to Carrie Pippridge and Carousel. Be willing willing not to be married at all. Let let me decide that. And he says to Abraham. Be willing to give, give up your one and only son. The son of promise. You know, we think our problems are academic or superficial or behavioral. But the truth is, there is a monster at the heart. Yeshua says, to you today, surrender. Surrender to me your dreams. Money can be a monster. In fact, money is so dangerous spiritually that even not having it can destroy you. Why? Because of your envy and your desire. Uh, you, You kill yourself to get it. Uh, but the point is, it's not the money uh, or the work or the pleasure or the success per se, but it's putting anything before Yeshua. That's what he's saying. Uh, 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 it's money or sex or drugs or beauty or fame or power or success uh, as your fullest dream, fondest dream, as your, as your deepest dream. Yeshua says, surrender your fondest and deepest dreams to me. Whether you have money or not, If money is the way you dream of a life of perfect control then whether you have it or not it can become your idol your deepest dream Uh, uh, You want money in part Why do we want it? Because we feel like it will give us a life of power Uh, We'd be in charge of our life Uh, We'd feel I'm finally in control People won't be able to push me around If you don't have it the monster of money will fill you with anxiety and bitterness and envy. You'll always be worried about money. Uh, you'll overwork. Uh, you'll, you'll make, uh, it'll make you trample on other people. Uh, the love of money, the desire for money, the pursuit of money, whether you have it or not, will become a monster that consumes your soul. You may find yourself trampling on other people, but you'll say to yourself, whether consciously or not, yeah, other people may get hurt, but it makes me money. So, so be it. And sometimes one of the worst things that can happen is when you actually get the money, when you become rich. Why? Because then you feel like it's because I'm smart. It's because I'm savvy. And you get very confident about all your abilities uh, and all your hunches and all your beliefs and it becomes a monster. Yeshua says, yes, you lack one thing. That's true. And what is it? It's it's not actually the giving away of the money. Here's the fourth on the overhead. The fourth and final reason why he went away grieving. It's treasure in heaven on the overhead. Uh, The reason this young man uh, has missed it all is because he does not understand treasure in heaven. And Yeshua comes to him and he says, You've got to get rid of this monster. You had to put me first, and the only way ever—that's the only way you'll ever get tre- treasure in heaven. On the overhead. Well, what is what are treasures in heaven? Number—it means two things. Number one, it means to see that he is your treasure in heaven. On the overhead, when Yeshua says, "Give away everything," what he's really saying is, "I want you to see—is that if you have me and only me." you're rich and not just rich toward people but rich towards God he's saying young man I know you've got the largest estate in the district uh, but it's nothing compared to my forgiveness it's nothing compared to my righteousness it's nothing compared to being adopted into my family it's nothing compared uh, compared to what I can give you don't you see thieves can steal your wealth Moths can rust and corrupt it. But what I give you is permanent. What I give you is eternal. On the overhead. And you must see that I alone am good. But that as your savior, if you rely on me, for you're standing before God, then you become good in me. Hallelujah. And then you'll see that I'm your treasure. I'm your righteousness. I'm your perfect record before the Father. And if you have that, then it changes your attitude about everything. Money's no longer sacred. It's nothing compared to the treasure in heaven. You're free from worry. You're free from envy. You're free to be generous. And on the overhead, and finally, if you want to understand treasure, treasure in heaven, you've got to see, number one, that he is your treasure in heaven. And then finally, number two, you are his treasure in heaven when Yeshua sends out his disciples and they come back and they've been casting out demons we read this in Luke ten seventeen. the 72 return with joy and said Lord even the demons submit to us in your name now what does Yeshua say look at Luke 10 verse 20 rejoice not that the demons submit to you but rejoice that your names are written in heaven where are their names written in heaven? We're told in the Torah, when the high priest went in before God, he had the names of the tribes of Israel engraved on precious stones over his heart. When he went in before the Lord. And Yeshua, he is our high priest. And so we read this in Isaiah 49, uh, verse 15. God says to Israel, can a woman forget the baby the nurses at her breast she may forget but I will never forget thee oh Israel look I have engraved you on the palms of my hands you know if you put a design on your back you won't always see it but if you engrave something on the palms of your hands it will always be before you what, what is God saying on the overhead he's saying this if you like the Son of God, your treasure. That makes you my treasure. And now when I see you, I see an absolute beauty. I see you radiant in Yeshua, God says. I see you righteous in Yeshua. I dote on you. I gaze on you. Isn't this the most exhilarating truth for you to meditate on? you need to live in the holy consciousness of this amazing reality that you have in Messiah Yeshua stop taking your identity from your bank account or from your dress size or from anything other than Messiah Yeshua himself Yeshua says you'll only be free if you see that in me and in me alone you are rich on the overhead as John Newton once put it since I have known the Savior's name and what for me he bore. No more I toil for empty fame. I thirst for gold no more. Placed by his hand in this retreat. I make his love my theme. So that all the world. That's all that the world calls great. Is but a waking dream. If you. Will come to Yeshua. Even though he may be grieving you. You will realize he's grieving you. For your own ultimate good. And we will discover. His everlasting love. Amen. God, stand and pray. Hallelujah. I want the music team to come on up. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Father, we don't want to go away grieving today like the rich young ruler. We want to encounter the real Yeshua and hear his real message, no matter how challenging or countercultural or convicting it is. We need the true gospel message. We need a real life-changing encounter with you, Yeshua. Thank you for showing us today that your gospel demands far more than we thought, but also offers and promises far more than we ever dreamed. Lord, we confess that being your follower is not something we just add and tack on to our life. It's got to be our whole life, which means we must be born anew and afresh. And it's not something we do. But rather we must repent and surrender to you. And have your spirit change us from within. Only then can we love you with all of our heart and mind and soul and strength. And love our neighbor and yourself. Only then can we have no other gods before us. And no other idols in our life. Yeshua, today I give you permission. To get real and personal with me. To look into my heart. To show me my deepest needs and flaws. Uh, We're in this high holy day season where I need to repent. Yeshua, I surrender to you today all of my dreams. I place them in your hands at the foot of your cross. And I say, Command me, Lord. I am yours. For you, Yeshua, are my treasure, my treasure in heaven. Amen. Shabbat shalom.